I don't do trials or proof of values with just anybody because you'll find out really quick when, you know, you'll hear it all the time. People say, oh yeah, you could try this out and all you have to do is connect it to your tenant. And the next thing you know, you look at the permissions it's requesting and they want to see literally everything. But they'll try to say, oh, we have an NDA in place and that's going to protect us. If you're just doing this one component for me, why do you need everything in my tenant? Why do you need these permission sets? Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience. Listen to and talk with your buyers and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? Okay, welcome to another episode of Audience First. As always, I have a very special guest with us today. I have the one and only Nick Ryan. Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Awesome. So Nick, remind me, how did we actually meet? Because I know it was through LinkedIn and I was, I know it was through a mutual connection, but what, what's the backstory there? Because I, I just can't remember. Yeah, no. So um, it's actually Carlos Guerrero. So um, he had been very interactive with uh, my post for quite a while. We met a few times, had some good calls. And um, he was like, hey, you have to meet Danny. Good people. Like, you know, let's get you in touch with her. And then, boom, next thing you know. You and I were uh, we're chatting away, and hey, let's uh, let's get on it and do something. So, um, shout out to Carlos. Thanks for connecting us. Yeah, Carlos is is really good peoples, and I apologize. I don't even remember that. It's been a hectic week, but yeah. I'm so glad that we finally got to connect. And it took us a minute. So, Nick, tell me a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? And why the hell do you do it? Yeah, that's a good question. So, uh, yeah, from uh, San Diego, and. Um, I've been out here for, for quite a while, grew up in Colorado, but um, always been into tech. Um, and then as I got more into the technology space, I mean, I started out in sales originally, so it's kind of an interesting spin. So started out in sales, but could do the whole up and down, um, you know, and the, the inconsistencies and, you know, not being able to plan, say, oh, yeah, let's go on a vacation in two weeks or whatever it might be or a month. You know, that was always a little more difficult. Um, and I was doing cold calling, so it was like, you know, grinding my teeth like this sucks nobody wants to talk to me it's the worst so i always had a fond appreciation for anybody in, in sales but um anyway got into tech and uh in my way out to california um and then got in the accounting industry so um there's a there was a smaller firm in california we had about six seven hundred people i was the head of it for for quite a number of years and then we did a merger where we merged into baker tilly which uh, we're, we're a lot bigger now. We're about 7,500 people. So anyway, I took over all of security and governance risk compliance. So dealing with everything that has to do with security. So it's been a, been a great shift and, and finally realized like, oh, this is why I've always been naturally drawn to security. It just comes easy to me. I love it. And um, yeah, so that's what I've been doing for, for a little bit here. And why do I do it? You know, it's, um, it's exciting. It's, uh, there's always something new. Um, I thought that, you know, to me, it's like, I'm a forever student, forever learner. So the more that comes out, the the cooler problems we get to solve. And, you know, being able to connect with so many different people, um, you know, at the board level and the risk committee, and 
you know, all these different walks of life and talk security with them, break it down for them. It's pretty cool. So that's why I do it. So it sounds like you're also a learner, but you like to be a teacher and a mentor as well. Totally. Yeah, that's a big one. I mean, honestly, it's, um, you know, being able to pass on what you've learned and be able to build other people up, mentor others. That's so fulfilling um, because I wish I had that. I did not have that. I had to, you know, hit my head in a lot of different ways. Um, and I wish I had somebody that could help out. I don't know if you had mentors in, in your walk, but oh gosh, I wish I sure did. Yeah. I, on purpose, try to find really, really smart people that I could kind of use as a soundboard. So that to me is critical. I wouldn't be where I, where I am today if I didn't have a couple mentors in my arsenal. So sure. are they all like specialized or how do you set them up? Yeah. Spe- very specialized in very niche topics. A new concept somebody uh, brought up to me was they have a, uh, what they call a board of directors for their personal life. And so they have like kind of a mentor or somebody that they go to in like 10 different lanes. So from practical, like a lawyer to an accountant, to, you know, a finance person to actually like, you know, emotional well-being. like there's just somebody, I mean, I might be a little overkill, but it's a good concept, right? Of making sure that like, if you're not the expert or you need help and guidance in some way, you know, connect with those people that can help out. There's a lot of willing people out there. hundred percent, hundred percent. I have someone for the emotional side, not going to lie. I have someone for uh, learning how to niche down mm-hmm. and then someone for doing sales. Hey, there you go. Hey, honestly, though, that emotional support is massive, massive, huge. especially with all the burnout and all that crap that's going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huge. Um, so it's been super fruit- fruitful, recommended for every anyone. And I like the concept concept of having a, a BOD for your personal life. Super cool. Totally. Yeah. All right. So, Nick, what do you hate most about the cybersecurity industry? Yeah, I think um, buzzwords annoy the hell out of me. Um, mostly because they're used by non-technical people. Um, and uh, like the the slides, that I call it architecture, where it just looks so sexy. And, you know, the concept <laughs> makes sense, but then they're using it in terms of, you know, uh, just trying to use this buzzword, like zero trust, right? Zero trust or sassy or, uh, you know, things like that. It's just, it's, it's annoying. And yeah. um, I really don't like it. Just it almost like it's a disingenuous undertone to it, right? Like you, you're coming up with this new, what you think is this new space and you're trying to call it something that is attractive, which I understand, right? I see both sides of it, but yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily like it. Cause if you get into those conversations and deeply pull those topics apart, you'll find out that most of the people that are saying them don't actually understand what, what it really means. I got it. So let's, I want to drill down into that a little bit more. What is it about zero trust and sassy that that kind of ticks you off. I mean, again, you mentioned people don't understand what it actually means and they're using it, you know, wildly out of, out of context probably. Right. But, but what is it? Why? Well, so the name itself, um, because what zero trust really is, is at the core of it is trust, but verify, right? Like you're Mm -hmm. actually trying to make sure that you can give out trust if you had zero trust, I mean, literally no one would get into the system ever, right? So it's just, it's an absolute term. Um, and that's, uh, I think that's the problem with it, right? Is this absolute term. And then, you know, the tools that claim like, oh, we do zero trust. Like, well, 
you have to give me more than that. Does that mean micro segmentation? Like you have all these parts, or does it mean that you're doing, you know, least privilege? Like what does it really mean? Um, so I think that's sort of the, the, you know, it's a, it's a fun sounding word. Then once you break it down more, it's just kind of, you know, there's so much more to it. There's so many more layers. Okay. So as a CISO for Baker Tilly, what's currently your one bleeding neck challenge? I think it's all around data. Um, managing of data and and part of it is you know there's so many different tools out there that are being used and data that's being you know brought in and just try to stay on top of the data sources um you know the tagging making sure that things are getting tagged appropriately that's a real challenge and it's only getting more and more so when you have you know new tools popping up every single day it's pretty insane how quickly they come to the party mm-hmm What's the ultimate goal you're trying to achieve as a CISO? I think it's really to protect the firm's revenue. I know it sounds super cliche, but legitimately, I would feel like the biggest failure if we had an incident that led to, you know, Baker Tilly being on the front page of some newspaper or, you know, uh, Security Weekly, like, oh, look what happened to Baker Tilly. Don't do that. You know, you don't, you don't ever want to be associated with that. I mean, but you can't go out there and say you never want to be in an incident. I mean, everybody... If you have not been in a security incident, you have not been in the industry long enough. Like it's not a matter of you know if it's a matter of when. Um, so I think just keeping the firm out of financial harm, right? Like a privacy case. When we're we have California presence, so we have to worry about CCPA and things like that. And you know that would be a real bad time if we had to pay out millions and millions of dollars. Um, that would be the ultimate failure. So try to stay away from that. Yeah. What kind of tools are helping you achieve your current goal right now? Yeah, I think uh, there's so many, but ultimately I'm having a lot of success with um, Carbon Black, for example. It's a fantastic tool that we have a lot of great things come out of it. It helps us have a lot of control. Um, As far as like data specifically, though, I mean, there are so many good tools out there. Like one of the products that I've, I've been kind of messing around with and we're getting more and more involved is a, a product called Secure Circle. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is uh, CrowdStrike actually just bought them. But the the idea is that they offer transparent encryption on every single file in the environment. So that's not even just like PDFs and Word documents. It's literally DLLs, everything gets encrypted. And the idea is that if something were to get compromised or an insider were to, you know, oh, I'm going to put this in my personal Dropbox account or whatever. Um, it doesn't matter to the firm because if it's not on an approved device or approved user, it's just going to be gibberish. It's going to be encrypted. So it's almost like a benevolent encrypt, uh, ransomware, which is kind of funny, mm-hmm. but um, that's super cool to solve that problem of data, like making sure it's in the right place at the right time and the right users. So that's, that's a huge, uh, really cool product. Take me back to the day when you first decided to evaluate, what was it, Security Circle, you said? Uh, Secure Circle. Secure yeah. Circle. Uh, shout out to Secure Circle. Uh, tell me what happened. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, uh, so we kind of started out with, you know, I knew that DLP wasn't cutting it, you know, data leakage prevention, just because it's all rules-based stuff. And uh it's only as good as the rules are and it's a lot to manage and things fall through the cracks. And, you know, uh, like, for example, like it'll say, oh, we're looking for 
you know, three digits, dash, two digits, dash, four digits, and that's a social security number. And it's like, well, what if they put periods or what if they just run the number, you know, is it a phone number? Is it, you know, so there's just, a, you know, the, the knowledge there um, with the model was struggling. So we started looking and um, I forget how exactly we started the conversation, but I don't know if they were referred to me or how we got in. But either way, we got in and they did a really good job of trying to understand, you know, the problem. But also what I liked about them too is they were more focused on like, here's how we're solving it for other people and not try to say, Nick, we're going to fix all your problems for you. And this is going to be the best time ever, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, or making it, making me feel bad about it. Right. Cause sometimes and I don't know about you, but I, you know, I've been around, you know, salespeople that will kind of put the foot back into security. Right. And be like, you have to do this. If you're not doing this, like things are so bad and, you know, kind of scaring you that way. So I mean, they did a really good job of just kind of being real about the problem. Um, showing me success that the other customers were having. And then we started a trial and it was like, this is fantastic and it really works. Um, but also they were upfront about some of their shortcomings and that's been cool too, just to see the growth from initially when we started talking of the product and now uh, it's grown a lot. So those are some things that were done really well. That's awesome. But why didn't you do it sooner? Like you, you mentioned you were, you know, doing DLP not sure with who it's it's irrelevant it's it's good enough context here but sure. what what change that you decided now is the time to to go with secure circle yeah that's a great question i mean to me there's following the roadmap that i have is has been strategically placed you know in the way that it is and you know the first thing that i had to do when i got in here was carbon black and you know putting in a really robust stack there. I don't want to get into specifics, but we have a lot going on there, which is great. And um, that's once we were able to button that all up, everything was great. Then we could focus on, you know, the next step of the puzzle. And for that roadmap, it was let's protect our data. You know, mm-hmm. so um, you know, not that we have everything perfect, but uh, that's kind of how we the progression was. Kind of like, okay, we need the in the roadmap that we have that was approved by the risk committee and blessed by legal team saying, okay, that's a great, you know, trajectory. Let's go do that. It, it fell in that route. There were some things we had to button up first and then we could get started on it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so it wasn't like, you know, I, I was super wildly unhappy with, we were using just a built-in Microsoft DLP, but we were ready for something much more advanced, you know? And so then once we had some of the other stuff we had to take care of done, the time's right. Yeah. Take me through what you did and thought about during that journey of, of evaluating the solution when you, when you all were ready, like who yeah. influenced, who did anyone influence you to buy? Where, where did you spend your time to find the solution? It was just hilarious because I saw a clip from another podcast you had where the guy was like, Oh yeah, the gardener magic quadrant. Um, which is so funny because nobody looks at that. He's so right. Um, no, I mean, ultimately to me, I, I am a big fan of bringing in other parties. I don't remember the other ones that we looked at, but um, there were a couple others that we looked at. And, and to me, it's more about, you know, once you start talking to somebody, you can find out pretty quickly from them even who their competitors are, who do you go up against? And, you know, to me, I'm huge on vulnerability and transparency. So if I ask them, which I ask every single vendor, you know, what makes your competitor product better than yours? Like, what do they do better than you do? And then, then they'll ask them the other question, what do you think that you do better than them? 
And if they give me a real softball BS answer about what the competitor does better, like, oh, the really cool, you know, marketing slides, like that, that to me is like, I, I don't want to hear that crap. I want to hear genuinely, where do you lose out and why? That helps me kind of put the pieces together about, oh, okay, cool. Like they're doing this well. And not, you know, I take it with a grain of salt, but it is something to think about then when I go to the competitor and say, hey, look, you know, I don't say, oh, your competitor told it's not that. It's just like, hey, I heard, you know, is this something you guys come up against? How do you solve that? Um, so anyway, that's part of my own process of going through this. Um, yeah. And then being a larger organization, we were not massive, but, you know, 7,500 people, there is an element of how do you... How do you implement something like this, right? And and all that's a question for all products, you know, because generally speaking, just enabling something or installing something across the entire company organization, that's a big lift. You're not just doing that, you know, um, with that many people without any repercussions. So you got to really think about what's the plan? Are we going to slow roll it? Are we going to do a year rollout? Are we going to do this one department? Just kind of piecing together what makes sense. And look at your risk register and say, okay, I need to solve this problem for this group first, legal, HR, whoever might be more sensitive type um, service lines. So that's sort of, those are sort of all the components that go into getting something like this across the finish line. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you had a free trial. So you got to use the product, um, kind of self-service, check it out. What's your take on free trials are, are enough vendors offering free trials is that a key factor in deciding whether or not to purchase a solution or not that's a great question i mean of course the there are concerns with it too right i don't do trials with or proof of values with just anybody Mm -hmm. um especially if the because you'll find out really quick when you know you'll hear it all the time people say oh yeah you could try this out and all you have to do is connect it to your tenant and the next thing you know, you look at the permissions it's requesting and, oh, they want to see literally everything, right? And, you know, they'll try to say, oh, well, we have an NDA, we have an NDA in place, and that's going to protect us. And it's like, well, if you're just doing this one component for me, why do you need everything in my tenant? Why do you need these permission sets? So it's not across the board that I like that. Um, the other part of it, too, is sometimes things are a pain in the ass to unwind, after you get them in your environments, so it's like, you gotta be real smart and careful about which stuff you allow to do that trial, the proof of value. But in this case, it made perfect sense. It's like, yeah, we need to see how this actually works. So we did it in a sandbox environment. Um, and I think ultimately too, it is good that companies offer proof of value or, or free trials, because to me, that shows that they're willing to stand behind their product, right? If you didn't, if your product wasn't gonna hit it and you know knock out the needs of the customer, why would you set it in front of them and just say, yeah, try it out. Let us know. Um, another great example is abnormal email security, great product. And we did a proof of value there and they were able to show us where to the point where it's like, they're not even selling at this point. They're just showing us results and we're the ones saying, yeah, let's, uh, let's invest, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. I love that. That to, to me is so valuable because, you know, I've been thinking about it over the weekend and I've gotten some feedback from, from other cybersecurity professionals a lot of insight through the podcast episode. And I'm thinking, well, product usage is such great validation and feedback that could be applied back to all core business functions within the organization versus going based on assumption, working with, you know, these expensive vendors to come up with positioning and messaging that doesn't correlate or tie back to what you're offering as a product. Yeah. 
So I'm loving this. And this is something, you know, this is a a mindset that I'm trying to get my head around because I've been so used to the traditional framework of of marketing and, and sales. Yeah. Right. And I'm not so sure that's scalable based on all the conversations I'm having with my guests on the podcast. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure this out myself and 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 see how to navigate that. And this is something that I'm probably going to touch on in next episodes. And and so that's super cool. All yeah. right. So um, are there any differences or anomalies right now in the market that we can learn from or take advantage of to stand out in your eyes? Yeah, you know, in my opinion, one of the best things is to actually become active on LinkedIn. I know this sounds so trivial, but it makes such a difference. Like every single security executive that I know hates getting blasted with connection requests that have to pitch in the request, right? Mm-hmm. I don't even know you when you're already pitching me. Um, or if it's like, I don't even know you, I accept the request. And then the very first thing you ever say to me is, Hey, can I get 15 minutes of your time? Here's why. Right. And it's like, this is not the way to go about it. But just being a genuinely good person and just being an active part of the community in LinkedIn to me is so valuable because it allows all of us to see that you're a real person. You actually care about the industry. You're invested. You're trying to learn more. Um, there was a post, I forget who, who it was. I'm not going to shame them here, but it was, um, it was a, it was a security professional. Might have been a CISO who was basically trying to like, poo-poo the salespeople and saying, you're not really part of our industry, right? Which is such BS. Salespeople are such an integral part of, you know, our industry. We need salespeople saying, you know, plain and simple. So to me, I would say like anybody in marketing or sales, get active on LinkedIn. Your opinions matter. You're, the stuff that you find cool or interesting about cyber, post it, you know, respond to people's posts. Um, you're just connect with people. I think I read somewhere it was like less than 3% of people engage on LinkedIn. I mean, that's nuts. That's such a market to be able to build up, you know. Um, but I think that that's big. You're just, you're showing people that you are an active member of the community. You're not just looking for a quick buck. Um, and you're you're going and playing the relational game, which is such a freaking, that to me is how you win in the long term. Because I'll tell you, like a, the same people that did me well at the six 700 person accounting firm I ran, are the same people I brought along for the ride for the big 7,500 person firm, right? So now they're getting contracts that have extra zeros on the end of them. And it's all because they've built trust. They have, they played the relational game. You know, I trust them. They've built that over the years. So mm-hmm. that's what it's all about, right? It's like, what do you want? Do you want the quick buck now? And then you never get anything back from them? Or do you want somebody that you invest in, might not get something for a little bit, but then when you do, it's going to be bigger or it's going to be longer lasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I would say. Did you happen to land on my company's website after we connected? Did you go by yourself? I'm wondering, do you, you know, if we establish a relationship and we talk and we get on and and riff about some things, do you actually take a look at the vendor website? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because one, it's, it's on my time, right? It's like, I'm interested about, wow, like, you know, Dan's doing all this cool stuff with, you know, interviewing these people. We just got podcasts and, she knows Carlo. She knows all these mutual people. Like you become this much more real person in my mind. And then I naturally become curious about like, well, what is it that she does? Like what, you know, and then I'm going and looking, yeah. uh, that's always interesting to me. And, and I, I'm such a sucker. Like if I post something, it's somebody that I either don't really know that well, or maybe it's a new connection. 
they write a meaningful response to what I posted, that means something to me. I appreciate that you took the time out of your day to write something that's not just like, I love this, you know, or just give me a like or whatever. Like, that's great too. But I'm saying like, legit, you're writing out a response. I'm going to click into your profile and see what's up. And, you know, click on your, see, oh, wow, your business development makes sense. You have some really good points and, you know, seeing what your company does. So yeah, there's totally a relation there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All right. We, we covered some poor experiences, but yeah. I do want to dig into some cardinal rules you think security vendors, marketers, sales, what's above and below and in between are breaking these days. Sure. Uh, so you mean like things that are going well or, or poorly or both? Cardinal rules, they're, they're breaking. Oh, they're breaking. Um, uh, well, I mean, I know I, I, this is a common one. A lot of us see this as, you know, integrity matters. So if you reach out to me and say you want 15 minutes of my time, that's bullshit. I've never had a 15-minute meeting in my life unless I'm cutting it early. <laughs> so that's a big one. And, and integrity goes so far in our industry. So that's a big one. Don't break that. I think also, you know, if somebody's, this is more LinkedIn central, but I think it's a good overall concept is if somebody is posting about a problem or, um, you know, something, if you go on as a vendor and you write that you can solve this problem, you're just kind of being an asshole, right? Like that's not, that's not the point of this. That's not the opportunity to get in. Um, so to me, that's just a, a, you're kind of breaking that. And then, um, cold calling that's, I've never once purchased anything from anybody that cold called me. Um, I think that that's a cardinal rule. If it's just this day and age, I get why it worked in the past. Look, I used to cold call for sure. So I know all about it, but I would say that's one that's, uh, don't break that. The, the, the success rate on that can't be good. I don't know about if you've had success with cold calling, but it's got to be pretty minimal, right? No. If at all. You know, best case scenario for me as a marketer, I get to get a lot of qualitative data and listen in, yeah. but it doesn't really turn into, you know, opportunity at yeah. scale, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe sporadically, but at, at scale, when when that's the requirement from investors, it doesn't really right. work. Yeah. And also it's like, you're, you're catching people off guard. Right. And I almost, sometimes I feel like that when you're cold calling, you're shooting in the dark, you're obviously shooting in the dark, shooting in the dark of one, you're almost catching them off balance to try to see if you can rope them in for a quick sale while they're off balance. And to me, that's not genuine and that's not long lasting. Right. I mean, it's quick buck here and there. There's no way that's sustainable. And you know, nobody's going to remember like, Oh my gosh, do you remember that one time I got that call out of the blue? Who's that guy? All right. Call him back. Maybe I'll buy something again from him never the case, right? It's like, oh, hey, I've worked with so-and-so and they were fantastic and they they were patient. Like I have people right now that I've never purchased anything from and they know that my contract renewals and maybe not up for another year or two years. <laughs> and they're still checking in, sending me cool stuff in terms of like uh, information out there. Like, hey, I don't know if you saw this article, this is cool or what do you think about this? Like they're engaging with me on a human level because they know when that renewal period comes up, I'm bringing them into the fold and we're going to start that conversation, you know? And they have mm-hmm. now trust built up that it's not like I only hear from them at the minute I'm ready for renewal, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Like walking. All right. We're going to get into the fun part. I mean, this has all been fun, but we're going to get into the juicy stuff, the shit Let's list, which I absolutely love. Uh, yeah. I want to know what's the worst thing that you've experienced from a vendor? Oh, damn. 
Okay. This is going to riff. I'm going to riff. I hate. Okay. This hates a strong word. Um, the value added resellers, the VARs. I have PTSD from dealing with VARs. I mean, I have never once, well, again, never was maybe a little bit too absolute. Very rarely have I ever actually had value added on anything that I bought from a reseller. Um, like, and it's even worse. I mean, like, I have, ooh, I'll give you a perfect one. Here's, here's a good one. So I was looking at a product and I'm going to be super fake here. But I was looking at a product and I got a quote from them. It was a million dollars. And this is somebody that I trust very much, right? It's a million dollars. Well, then I was talking to somebody else, another vendor, um, and they're, they're more of a reseller. And they were saying, hey, have you looked at this product? And it was the same product that just got that quote for for a million dollars, right? And I said, yeah, definitely heard of it. And uh, I'm actually looking to buy it. Um, and he said, okay, well, I don't know if you know, but for your size, I'd get you in for, for half a million. It's like, wait, what? Half a million. I just started a quote from somebody else for a million. I said, what? For your size? I'm like, yeah, that's what I got. And anyway, he gave me a quote, exact same product SKUs, exact same everything for literally $600,000 less than the other vendor. And it was like this shock of like, are you shitting me? Like we have this relationship and you try to gouge me for $600,000 more than, you know? And I mean, it's almost by chance that I even talked to this other guy. So anyway, that was a horrible experience because it, it just showed me like, you still have to do your due diligence on people that you trust, you know, which is a kind of a sad reality, but uh, got my heart burning at, you know, not a Yeah, yeah. yeah. My um, gosh. Well, okay. So what would have been the alternative? I, I mean, it seems pretty obvious, but let's yeah. hear it. I mean, to me, it's like, I had the conversation with them after the one that gave me the million dollar quote. And I just mm -hmm. said, Hey, uh, not gonna lie, man, pretty, pretty upset. I just got a quote for the exact same product for 60% less than what you quoted me. Mm -hmm. Um, and you need to make a good answer really. So I, I, it just kind of showed where it was at. I think the alternative to me would have been, you know, <clears throat> trying to understand what's the markup initially. Because we all know, like, if you're buying it from a reseller, they have to have a markup on it. I don't care. I just want to know what's that percentage. Is it 10%? Is it 20? And in, in this case, it would have been at least 100% over whatever, you know, just by nature, what I found out later. So I think that that would have been something I wish I would have done. Um, so if there were more transparency, that's probably the only, I don't know. I mean, when you hear that situation, what do you think that they could have? Just be, just, just be honest and don't, don't you know, stiff someone like that. You know, every, I mean, you know that they need to make money. So to your point, right. just be honest about what you need and, and let's see if you can make it happen versus, 100%. you know, and if you've established that relationship, I don't know, I won't speak for you, but if you would have seen the quote, I, I don't know, maybe it would have gone with more expensive because you had that relationship mm. or, or not. Yeah, and if, like, if it was like a hundred grand more. I mean, I might have been like, okay, like I understand that, you know, I know this guy and I trust him versus the guy I have no idea, no relationship with. And yeah, it's a hundred thousand dollars more. I might ask him about it, but ultimately I'm not going to, you know, it's not 600 grand, right? Like yeah. 600, that's just a whole nother that's, level. Yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. All right. Let's, let's flip it on its head. What's one thing a vendor has done that has made you feel good? What worked for you? Ooh, I would say I really had a wonderful time with the abnormal team. Um, shout out to Mike Santilli 
Um, but you did a really, really good job of, of guiding the process. Like never once did it feel pushy, you know? And, and again, it was like, you could tell the minute you talked to them and the abnormal team that they were just so confident and sure about how damn good their product is that I just, I knew even from the first few times I talked to them, I knew like, I bet you this thing is badass. And what they didn't know is I actually heard about the product from another CISO who was like, I don't know if you heard about abnormal. They're amazing. You should go get it. So I was from a CISO. So I already like went in thinking like, this is going to be pretty cool. But to have the sales team be like, you know, yeah, let's just, uh, let's get proof of value. It's very just on my own terms. Didn't feel pushed. And then, yeah, you know, like we talked about before, showing the proof of value and then coming to happen the numbers come back and being like, hey, you can look at these numbers and ignore it all you want. Like, this is what we found, right? And it's like, you know, <laughs> see, so you look at it and you say, well, I can't in good faith look at that and not say anything to my board, right? Yeah. I know I'm seeing this. So that was, that was huge. Um, I think that was really good. Also, I do appreciate people that are, like, I don't, I don't know if you have kids, but Mm-hmm. When you have a kid, I just had a kid 10 months ago. So it's a whole new world. And, you know, I haven't slept in 10 months. But anyway, um, the vendors that reached out and were genuine about like, hey, congratulations, you know, and then there was people that were like sending me stuff. I mean, you know, I'm not necessarily going to put my kid in like a rapid seven onesie, right? But like, it's still cool that they at least thought like, hey, congratulations. Like, we actually care. That was really cool. That, that Everybody said something, even if it was just, you know, congratulations, that means something. Yeah, you know, they are a real person and they care about real life. Um, mm-hmm. That was cool. That was another one. Well, Recently. congratulations. I commiserate. I know I haven't yeah. slept in three years. So. <laughs> oh, no. I thought it was going to get better. Danny, you're killing me. No, I oh, always no. ask I always ask people with teenagers, does it get easier? Do you real. sleep? It's the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. that That's the yeah. hardest thing for me is the lack of sleep. I get into like dinosaur mode, T-Rex oh, mode. Oh, my gosh. It's really bad. But isn't it amazing how well you can do on such little sleep? I don't know. It's debatable. <laughs> Yo, but you're three years deep into this, so maybe it gets worse. Maybe I'm still running on fumes or it's like, okay. You're uh, you're in the honeymoon phase still. Oh, no, like, stop it. This does not. You know, really they don't have an opinion yet. They don't tell yeah, you. To, they, don't tell you to, they don't tell you to fuck off yet. So Yeah, it's... yeah, not yet. Oh, no. I mean, you know, in his own little baby way, I guess it kind of does. But um, damn. That's a good point. No, that's so cute. No, but you can't. You can't do. You can't. Kids are amazing. You know, you can't go without them. Your life. Yeah, for sure. For sure, it gives you so much perspective. For me, at least, I think gave me a purpose. But uh, that's awesome. Big muscles. Congratulations. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we're headed towards the end of the session. I want to ask you one more thing. Is there anything you want to impart on the audience today before we sign off? Yeah, I guess what I would say. To the security leaders, CISOs, anybody who's going up the ranks in security, um, loosen up on the salespeople. I really feel like as an industry on the internal side, there's a lot of, uh, like we've all seen those posts, right? People are like, don't call me, don't text me, don't email me, don't look at me. Like they just go off on salespeople and that's unfair. So to me, I think, uh, you know, if you're a security executive, give them the time of day, you know, you could still hold your line and, you know, tell them what works for you, what doesn't, but at least respond, just be an upstanding person. Like everybody that reaches out to me on LinkedIn with a sales pitch, 100% of the time I respond and I'll tell them simply like, Hey, here's what's going on. My budget cycles this. So I'm not really interested in looking at products yet or like just being transparent. Um, 
So I would say for security, you know, leadership perspective, you know, respond, don't be an asshole and, um, yeah, loosen up on them. And then on the sales side, I truly feel like the sales is broken from, you know, it's not a traditional business, right? Like there's a longer play here. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, organizations need to get religion on their sales structures and how they focus on things because right now they're all looking at, well, you we need to you know, close something this quarter. This is what matters. And sure that matters, but like, would you guys rather have the long play, you know, and mm-hmm. how do you, how do you set up the structure to, to be cohesive to that? That's a, an interesting problem. So, um, those are the two things that's it. Mm-hmm. Amazing. This has been super insightful and I'm so glad that we finally connected and, and finally, got, totally. got on live. Yeah. And yeah. you know, as always, if there's anything that I could do to help, you know where to find me. This totally. this this was awesome. You're always welcome back to the show. Hey, same to you. If you have anything, you know, you uh, I know you're gonna be trying some new stuff here. So if you need a hand, you wanna want me to look at anything, happy to help out. I will take you up on that offer. Hell yeah. Awesome. All right, Nick. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Audience First. If you like what you've heard, feel free to follow or subscribe to Audience First on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streamers.